morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome once again to another edition of Hockey the Podcast. I'm speaking to you in the afternoon, but I do know that our guest this time around is not quite as bright and breezy for her that side of the world. But before we introduce you to her, I'm going to bring you back to my good man and the man who's in the main seat, my co-host Tyron Jabu-Bonnard. Tyron, how are you doing? Yeah, Derek, good afternoon. It's uh, it's quite nice and refreshing for us to record this in the afternoon. I'm, uh, I'm a little bit more wide awake still because we usually record in the evening. So uh, it's a nice change. It's a nice sunny afternoon in cold Johannesburg. But what a great time to talk about hockey. Yeah, it, it really is nice. And uh, what I enjoy about it is that, as you said, there, there's sunlight outside and uh, the curtains are open. It is freezing, as you mentioned. Um, so we won't uh, dwell on that too much. Uh, the temperature doesn't change whether we're doing it during the day or the night. But uh, yeah, it, it does make for a nice and a welcome change. So, uh, But uh, it's not quite the case, as mentioned, for uh, the lady on the other side of the world. Definitely not. We've been through a cyclone here, but um, we come out on a much sunnier side and um, it's a lot warmer, I believe, um, here than it is back back home. Oh, and if, if you're wondering who that person was who just jumped the gun, Tyron put us out of our misery. For those folk, again, who accidentally clicked on the podcast and didn't re- read the details. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, none other than Lindsay Wright. Some of you might remember her as Lindsay Carlisle. She is the coaching extraordinaire, a lady with 209 caps for South Africa and a couple for Zimbabwe as well. And I'm sure we're going to unpack that as we as we chat this afternoon slash evening yeah Lindsay, welcome to the show officially this time it's, it's great to have you on board thanks thank you so much guys it's, um, it's an absolute pleasure to be a part of all of this and um and really happy to talk to you guys and find out what's happening on your side of the world well i tell you what the, the pleasure is all ours but uh, enough about our side of the world because we're in south africa we know what happens in sa um how, how things been over in australia you are in perth which as I told you before we actually started the recording, I don't know if many people do know, but it is officially the most isolated city in the world, which is, is fairly strange because it is part of Australia. But, uh, I mean, I've been down under, uh, you've experienced it, obviously, and, uh, I mean, the country is just so huge. Uh, you, you do seem like you're far away from everything. Yeah, um, and, you know, even even the locals talk about it or the people from the east, as they call them, um, they they very much isolated here, but it's um, they've got their own, you know, their own ways and their own little sort of uh, challenges. But they've also, you know, got their own identity, and they're very proud of that here. So um, it's it's a pretty little place. Um, everything runs really, really well, and they and very respectful. Um, you know, they do call it the nanny state, but uh, there are rules for everything. Um, but then, you know, you understand why that is, and um, you you really you see the beautiful, you know, opportunities that you get here as well as yeah getting out on the other COVID virus yeah Lindsay and and obviously you I mean for all those uneducated those who maybe have had their head in the sand and are not understanding why you're not at an RPT with Northern Gauteng or you're not at the PHL why are you in Australia and who are you coaching and what is the it's a triple whammy question yeah but what is the the long-term plan Okay, well, um, I'll, I'll start back, you know, when I was back in South Africa and I was a part of, you know, all, all, you know, 
coaching IPT, um, you know, having a successful run with Northerns, being a part of the PHR, which was great, and being uh, successful with the Bunters, um, you know, in and out of the national team as assistant coach and, you know, trainers, being a part of the under-21. So I've done all my, you know, stints there and I went on a, several FIH courses and, and the last one that I did do, which was an elite course, they really sort of said to me, you know, um, if you're not going to be coaching at the top level in South Africa, then you really need to go looking outside of the border. Um, and I was hoping, you know, that those opportunities would op open up for me in South Africa, and they they really didn't. And I felt that I couldn't wait for them any longer to sort of hang around and progress that. So I didn't want to waste the opportunity that I'd already given myself. And so I started looking. I started using my FIH contacts and just putting my name out there and saying, you know, what is out there for, for a female, um, you know, and I'm also a mother, which I had to always consider about what I was doing. Uh, and I'm obviously married to Peter and, you know, taking that big step. And it was a very, very challenging step for me and a very nervous one for me. But, um, you know, I've had an absolute desire and passion to coach coach young kids um, and, and give them the same opportunities that I've had. Um, and so Peter and I really discussed this in quite a lot of detail. Um, he put out contacts to all his friends. Um, and, yeah, it just so happened that quite a few, I got a, a, several interviews, a lot of them being in Australia, um, here in Perth, um, because this is where, you know, all the AIS players play. And I thought this would be a good place to come and compare my coaching ability as to where I was at. Um, and it would challenge me. But also an area or, you know, a place that I could also comfortably bring Katie into as well from a, you know, a schooling point of view, opportunities for her, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, a couple of the clubs threw a few offers at me and, and the one club that really gave me an offer that I couldn't actually refuse because it was all sort of on board was the Suburban Lions Hockey Club. Um, and which was fortunate enough because there were a couple of South African girls here too, which was going to make it obviously a lot easier for me to sort of fit in and find my way. Um, but it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, and, you know, my job, my initial job was to try and get them out of the, um, the promotion league that they had, had dropped down to the year before I came um, and then get them up into the Premier League. Um, so, uh, what started out as a one-year adventure has now turned into four, um, <laughs> and, um, and it's been great, you know. And we've developed the club, and we still remain in the Premier League, even you know, even though this year's become a bit of a challenge and a little bit of a change for us. But we still we still go ahead. Um, but uh, it will come to the end. My four-year visa comes to an end now, um, and so you know. My options are open. Um, you know, I was obviously hoping, you know, with the Olympic Games going to take place this year, normally there's some shifting in the coaching, um, you know, fraternity in the world fraternity. So I was going to be obviously keeping an eye out on that. Um, but, yeah, I still believe that I've got so much to offer, no matter where I am, actually. You know, I wanted to give. I, I did apply for the, the national South African women's national um, position, but I was – not given an interview, so unfortunately I had to go ahead with the, the plans that I had to make, and um, I've landed up here, and I'm, I haven't regretted it. I believe I'm a better coach 
I've, it's met every challenge I expected it to be um, and, and grown. Um, but yeah, the, the future is interesting. So right now, Tyron, I think at the end of the year, um, the rest of it is a bit of a, a white or a blank canvas, should I say. And it needs to be, you know, decided upon in time to come. So, yeah, I'm looking. I'll, I'll see what happens. Well, blank canvas. Oh, oh, go for it, Ty. You know, I was, I was going to say, Linz, uh, obviously you, you've mentioned that, that you applied for the South African role. Uh, to many many South African fans, uh, you were their, their choice. Obviously, not getting an interview is quite disappointing. Um, is there still a major ambition to to be the head coach for South Africa? Oh, always. I mean, my heart is 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 there. You know, I've invested a lot of time there. Um, I know what it's like to play at that level, at international level, and I think. You know, not that you have to be a coach and be having being a player, but I just think it is a part and parcel of my strategies and my and and who I am and and the success behind my coaching. Um, you know, I can understand what players are going through. I know how far to push them. I know what to accept and what not to accept. Um, you know, and you know, I do look back into the the team and you know Marsha and I we, we stay connected a lot of the time we chat a lot we talk about you know a lot of the changes and, and the future and you know how we would like to you know make a difference or or see the future um, um, so we're always discussing it and um, yeah we, we, we still as much as Marsha is very passionate about the team about the country about hockey in South Africa and the development of hockey from from all ages, all the way through. Um, but I, I also have a passion for, it doesn't matter where I actually coach. So I brought the same passion to, to Perth um, in this club environment. I, I coach at the um, Hockey WA's Coaching Academy. Uh, I bring the same passion. You don't get a different me. You get the same person, the same high standards, and, and I want the same end results, which is to allow players to be better than what they were when they started. So, yeah, that's me. I think when you mention a blank canvas, that certainly does hold uh, unlimited options uh, for the future. And also it makes an exciting future. You said you mentioned the the SA role uh, and you weren't given an interview. Is that still very much in your sights, though? Oh, well, that depends if I'm given an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think... You, well, I'd hope that that I would be considered. Um, if I know, you know, that it is going to be an opening, I don't know. Um, you know, maybe they'll do really well, and maybe they'll carry on doing what they're doing. So, um, you know, and I'm sure there are a lot of other coaches back home that also feel that they need to have an interview and that they also deserve or deserve it of that position. Um, but you know, you only have to look at all the coaches that have left the country. You know, South African coaches that have left the country and become successful out of the experiences that they've had, um, and they still, I'm sure, are giving back to South Africa in some way or another. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I would like to. You know, Peter's still there, and it's very, very tough for for him and I to be separated. Um, you know, by distance. You know, in, in, and obviously, this virus has really put a, a spanner between in the works for us and, and we found it very difficult, you know, and it's very difficult for him. So 
to head on back to where he is uh, would be great um, and be with him and, and, you know, especially with him trying to get to the Olympic Games. I'd love to be around there to support him for that as well. Yeah, I've got a friend who, who lives in Durban and his, no, sorry, he lives in PE, his wife lives in Durban and uh, they, they, make, they, make it count, uh, they make it work, the long distance thing. I mean, it must have been a, a fairly challenging couple of years uh, for, for yourself and Peter. Very, very, very challenging. Um, and, and, and most, you know, you know, the first year was exceptionally challenging for me because I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I didn't, and I didn't bring Katie with me the first time. And that was really difficult for me. But I, you know, I had to focus on the hockey and what I was, what I was doing. Um, and then the second year, there was just no ways I, she needed to be with me. And, um, yeah, you know, we we're trying to get Peter across here as many times as we can. And obviously his build up to the Olympic Games has allowed him to travel here more frequently, which has been great. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been tough and we've just tried to make it work. But we understand each other and we understand what we're both after and, and we're both trying to fulfill our dreams um, and be supportive of that. Um, and, you know, I couldn't couldn't ask for a better partner in him. Yeah, absolutely. We we did speak to Peter recently, uh, a couple of episodes back on on the podcast, and he shared very similar thoughts to you. Both of you obviously spoke a lot about the Olympics. Uh, Peter getting the opportunity to go for the first time, but of course, Lindsay, you, you've been to two Olympic games, both in two thousand and two thousand and four. What was that experience like? And and does one of the two games uh, stand out more for you in your memory? Um, well, I mean, you, you just, as an athlete, I mean, Tyron, at the age of 11, I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. Um, and, you know, that was, that whole um, dream was set by the, the Zimbabwean ladies uh, Olympic team that achieved gold at the Moscow Olympics. But as a, as a very young child, you know, that dream was set alive by people like Liz Chase, um, Anthea Stewart, um, you know, the, the, the Chick Twins, you know, and that just started me from there. So um, getting to the Olympic Games, knowing what I was going to do there, you know, wanting to be one of the best hockey players in the world and competing with the best in the world, um, you know, you can't get more than that. And so when we arrived at the Olympic Games, and of course we were fortunate enough to have it in Sydney, and um, it just was the the epic of all sports events. Um, and, you know, I had a look back at the results and I am absolutely flabbergasted actually how well we did. <laughs> you know, we may, we may not have finished in the rankings of any, you know, medal matches, but, you know, I look at our first match, I remember very distinctly walking out onto the field in my very first match because that was a dream coming true since I was 11 years old. Um, and I was walking out there at the age of 25, I think I was, and um, 25, 26. And um, we were facing Germany and there were 18,000 people in the stands. And I just remember looking up to my right, to, to the right side of me and just thinking, here I am. I'm about to play my very first Olympic Games. And it was just, and I, it has never left my memory. And it was, and I just smiled. And I just think I smiled through the whole game. And we played Germany first up and we lost 2-1 to them in our very first game. And we went on to play the Dutch the very next day and we drew two all with them. Um, and then, you know, we, we lost 2-1 to New Zealand and um, B 
beat China 1-0. And then we got to the sort of critical playoffs and we lost 3-2 to Great Britain. And I remember that really broke us. We were just absolutely devastated because that could have taken us in an, another direction completely. And then our last game, we, we landed up losing 3-0 to, to South Korea. So, but just the whole experience in itself was amazing in, in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, um, and then we... Um, Sorry, I just wanted to interject there. It's actually unbelievable when when you mention the results and you look at uh, the the games we played against the Germans two one and Netherlands two two and of course Netherlands were uh, they played for the bronze medal and they won it. So bronze medalists. This is a team that we drew with, and you know watching some highlights where you can find them not so easy, but we were a very very competitive team and we were. In all of those games, we were never completely run away, except for maybe in the, the South Korea game, which really the, the, the wind had gone out the sails at that point. Yeah, we, were, we, we had put everything into that, the, the Great Britain match. And we, you know, we, we, I remember two all and then three two. I mean, we fought so hard. Um, and I look back at the results just prior to the Olympic Games, we, we toured Argentina. Now, Argentina played in the, the gold medal match, right? And I mean, we we lost two games, but drew two games in Argentina in Buenos Aires. Um, so we were definitely competitive. You know, we went to the Champions Trophy prior to the Olympic Games as well. Um, and, you know, we were competitive there. Our scores were competitive there. Um, so, you know, I just remember a lot of those players, you know, and how hard they worked with so little given to them. You know, we... <laughs> I had I had the privilege of sitting on a stage with Rick Charlesworth when I first got here, and one of the questions was asked of me of what my um, they were talking about centralised training, <laughs> and he gave his opinion, and then they asked me what my centralised training program was like when I played, and I said, well, we used cell phones had just come out, and we used to message everybody, and I them to meet them at Randburg at six o'clock. We used to arrive. There used to be about eight or nine of us. And we used to quickly decide how, what we needed to train, what did we all need to work on. We used to put a 45-minute session together and we used to train flat out, like flat out, and then finish and then go and work <laughs> for the day and then go to club hockey and then train some more. So we used to do that almost every day. We never had any guidance from our national coach because he didn't. He just, you know, it wasn't expected of him because um, he was obviously holding down his own job. Um, and we just used to do everything on our own. And, um, you know, and we were still competitive with the rest of the world. <laughs> Lindy, you know, I've, I've had a lot of broadcasters who, who've travelled the world and, and attended many sporting events uh, throughout their careers, uh, including many Olympics. And usually if I ask them, you know, your, your top experiences, um, they say Sydney is... If not the top one, it's definitely in the top three. And it, it always amazes me. I mean, that was back in 2000. So now what? We, we 20 years later, and they still speak about how incredible that setup was. And they said, you know, you, you move forward four years to 2004 to Athens, for instance, and it was like chalk and cheese. It was chaos, organized chaos, so to speak. They said Sydney was just a completely different world. What made it so special? Um, I think um, it was probably because the village was so close to everything that was happening. So you could literally walk out of your village through a sort of secured gate, jump on a bus, and the bus would take you about a, 
I don't know, about an eight kilometer, maybe not so much, about six kilometers in a loop and drop you off at certain points in the in the actual Olympic, um, you know, where all the, the stadiums were. So it was just all encompassed into one area. Um, and the way the people managed it, so their volunteer system here, and it's still here in, in today's world, their volunteer system is just incredible. People want to come out and help people, and they are they get so enthusiastic to help and assist you. And that's the one thing that stands back in my mind is how um, how all the volunteers just made it so worthwhile and were just so quick to help you. Everything ran on on time, on you know clockwork. Um, you never had to fight for anything. Um, you know, the, it was comfortable as an athlete. You could get around. It was just so easy. And even as a spectator, because my mom and dad also came as a spectator, and they just could get around with such ease and, and, and just so efficient. Um, the weather was beautiful and everything was just fantastic. And the, the, the public just supported every event that we were in. And funny enough, Derek, I... I coached the, the Western Australia under-21 team um, last, uh, two years ago, and the event was in Sydney. Um, and I went back, as you say, 20 years. <laughs> and I went to walk, I went to run around the, the Sydney Park. I ran into what was the village, tried to recognize everything. And it's still there, and it's still recognized. And I uh, just flooded back all the memories. It was just so amazing to be a part of it again. Oh, that that's incredible. And I, I take it still in pristine condition or the area that their village was and, and certain events? Yes, I mean, it's, it's now a suburb, you know, of, sure. you know, people obviously living there, but all the names of the streets are all named after their athletes. They've still kept all the sort of monumental things and they've put them in a sort of, um, you know, a sort of a walkway where you can go through them amongst the stadiums where they're obviously playing rugby and AFL and all of that. So it was just, it was just uh, every day I went for a walk and I had to find something new that I had remembered or discovered. It was just incredible. Uh, funny enough, when I mentioned Athens, I mean, in complete contrast. So I don't know if you've heard about all the um, the, the buildings, etc., that house the different events there, but they've all pretty much gone to rack and ruin. Uh, I was in Athens a couple of years ago, and then I also did the exact same thing. Of course, for me, it was seeing it for the first time. I didn't get to compete at Olympics prior, but uh, I went to go and have a look, and, and it was so sad to see. I mean, they comp- we spoke about possible white elephants uh, stemming from the 2010 World Cup. Thankfully, that hasn't really been the case. Most of the stadia have been used uh, pretty regularly. Um, in Athens, it was a completely different story. They were just left to rot and decay. And uh, yeah, it's so sad. And I'm so glad to hear that that certainly wasn't the case for Sydney. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And, and you're right. Athens was a completely different experience, but still an experience. Uh, tell us a bit more about that experience. Um, well, again, I mean, we, I just remember being in the bus for 45 minutes one way and always being in traffic um, and having to plan so much out of your day just for the, the transport. The people were not welcoming. They did not want us there. They were unaccommodated you know, on, on the best of, of occasions. And everything seemed to be so far apart from everything. Um, the hockey stadium was a little bit part of the, you know, sort of all the stadia that was put up there. Um, and, I mean, the actual event stadium itself was very very nice and and played very very well but it was just it was a really challenging um experience from an athlete point of view because we couldn't really get on a, a bus or a train and just sort of go into the the city 
like we freely did in, in Sydney, you know. We couldn't really be a part of the other events. I felt like we were sort of enclosed in the village there and we couldn't really get out. Um, everything had to be planned around transport because just so far from everything else. So, yeah, it, it was a very different type of event. But, um, yeah, you know, the actual competition itself, uh, you can never take away from any Olympian, you know, what you learn and, and how you move forward from those experiences. Um, and um, it's a great stage to be on and experience all those different things because they will continue to change. You know, I expect Tokyo is going to be fabulous. I think it's going to be a fantastic Olympic Games. And then you don't know what the next one's going to bring, you know. So it all depends where it lands up. Lindsay, I want to I stay with tournaments but move away from Olympics now and uh, move away from playing into coaching. The Junior Hockey World Cup, you led the team in 2013. Um, in the previous edition, I think it was 2009, we had really done quite badly. Uh, not badly, but done a lot worse than the previous occasions. So you came into a team who potentially hadn't lived up to their potential. And you went off to Mönchengladbach in Germany and uh, proceeded to lead the team to a very credible top eight finish. Um, was that like was that the moment that you realised I've got this, I can do this as a coach? Because it was a wonderful achievement for the team and turning things around like that. And and how does that rank in terms of your coaching highlights? Oh, it's definitely one of my higher-ranked um, experiences with a bunch of girls that really put a lot of effort in. Um, and again, the effort just comes from, you know, getting them to buy into the processes. Um, and so finding and selecting those kind of players that want to be a part of that journey. Um, and if they buy into that and they're prepared to put the work in, you know, it does make your job a lot easier as a coach. And so it was really just about me trying to put, you know, the right combinations together and the right playing style, et cetera, into, together. Um, and, you know, we were in a very difficult pool, to be honest. I mean, we had to face China, who had a couple of senior women players in their team already, and they were well-experienced um, uh, Chinese players. And then we had to face Argentina. Um, and I just remember... Um, you know, we were 3-0 down against China. And, um, you know, we changed a couple of things in the game and we get, we came back and we drew 3 all. Um, and I knew from then that we had some fight in us. And, um, you know, that sort of turned the points in our favour and then we had to play Argentina and they were 3-1 they were up and we landed up drawing, well, sorry, we, we drew 3 all with them. In fact, we nearly put the fourth one and nearly won 4-3, and that could have also changed things. But And Argentina went on to win that tournament. Um, and, you know, those girls had the most incredible fight in them. Um, and, you know, I think from a coaching perspective, I knew what buttons to push with them. Um, I knew what buttons to push for myself. Um, but, um, yeah, it was start of my growth, I think. And I think even if I look back now, what I knew then <laughs> and what I know now, you know, I've changed a lot of things uh, about what I, what I could have done. Um, but that's part of the experience and that's part of the journey, whether you're a player or whether you're a coach. Um, and I'm just one, I'm, I'm the person, I'm, I'm self-criticizing all the time, but well, I wouldn't say criticizing, I'm self-exploring all the time. Um, I always what I can do better than what I did the last time. And I, and I used to do that as a hockey player as well, you know. So that's just sort of come across into my coaching style as well. Uh, you know, I want to be at my best so that I'm able to give my players the best. 
Well, and, and Lindsay, if you look at that team, I mean, Pumalela Mbanda and uh, Aaron Hunter were both part of the team. They're the national captain and vice captain now. Uh, the mm-hmm. likes of Nicole Wallraven, now Erasmus, uh, Taryn Mallet, Tanya Brits, even uh, the likes of Taryn Glasby and Lillian Duplessis, are all part of the national team. But there was mm-hmm. a few other stars in that team. Uh, who do you think, who I've maybe not mentioned in that team, should be in the, the current picture based on, on your previous experience with them? Um, gosh. Um, Sorry, not the easiest question. No, it's not the easiest <laughs> question. Then you go through all the kids again. Um, well, I, I can. I've got the squad in front of me, so I can just yeah. read it off to you quickly. It was yeah. Pumi Mbanda, Shirley King, Izal Latakhan, and Nika Nal, Tanya Britt, Taryn Mallet, Jacinta Jab, Bronwyn Kritzman, Lenae Milan, Tiffany Jones, Lillian Duplessis, Leica Brandt, Erin Hunter, Nicole Warraven, Taryn Glasby, Tony Marks, Nicole Lafleur, and of course, Quinita Bobs. Yeah. Um, so, a few names come to, to mind there. So, I mean, I remember Zal Latakhan. Mm. You know, she had a couple of runs in the national team, and I, and I remember her being, being brought into we went to Ireland. I happened to land up being the manager stroke trainer. And Izzel was, you know, in my junior team at the time. And we were obviously trying to give them as much exposure as, as, as possible. She was really exciting. She was enthusiastic. She had a great um, athletic ability. She had a great skill set. Uh, she was you know, she had characteristics that were determined, never let a team down, very team orientated. But she went, she, I think, after her experience in Ireland, um, she played so well. And I think she was on, on, on the way up and looking towards national colours or, or, you know, more consistent national colours. And then she just dropped by away. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she had a bad experience or. But she no longer, as, as far as I know, I don't think she's playing hockey anymore. So that's one that we've let go. Lene Milan, she plays here in Perth. She plays for the Thundersticks. Um, so that's their top-level team. And she is a player that we watch out for here because she can, she can change a game. She's still incredibly athletic. Um, her skill level has improved massively. Um, she still has the same inspiration and the same desire to want to be the best on the hockey field. Um, and I touched base with her a couple of times, and I think she's just been let down too many times um, from communication point of view. You know, she's made herself available on several occasions, but never been communicated with. She's made commitments to get back for PHLs, IPTs, or whatever she was told, and then never really told why she was never put in the squad or, you know, never told whatever led from there. So she's one that that I think, you know, we've also lost, um, we've sadly lost. And, and, and Lindsay, Mar- just uh, before you go on to Tony, just a fun tip of chair for, uh, for Derek is, uh, many people may not know, but Lene Milan is uh, English cricketer David Milan's sister. Oh, That's wow. Right. <laughs> That's no, right. I no idea. Sorry, Lindsay, you were saying, and Tony Marks. Uh, it is a century on his debut, didn't you? Uh, yes, he did. But he didn't um, do too he well against South Africa, so we were okay with that because, you know, it hurts us when South Africans hurt us. Yeah. Tony Marks, you know, she was an ex- she, she had a lot of exciting um, 
uh, abilities in her. Um, I think she was still, she was very young, um, so she, need, she needed a lot of guidance and a lot of um, nurturing to, to get to her f- full potential. And a lot of these kids go through the same journey, you know, so, you know, they go in and out of not understanding what they should be doing, what they should be consistent on, um, and then eventually come out on the other side if they keep persevering. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I feel that these kids should not be shut out of the system. They should be told that they are lacking in certain things and that they need to go away and work on those certain things and then given more opportunities. Um, but it just doesn't sound like the communication to them is it, it, they're getting that kind of communication. Um, and and so you lose them somewhere. They go, they, they want to go and play overseas, rightfully so, to gain some more experience, keep developing themselves but then they never get given the opportunity to come back, show what they've had, compete against the current members of the national squad and, and put to a fair test. Um, and, you know, I just think, you know, while we, we, we've got to be very careful that we're not just only focusing around, you know, 20-odd kids, we, we really need to be building that base so that we make it competitive. Those kids know that they're in for a competition and, and providing that um, environment for them and opportunity for them to keep exploring and keep wanting to play for their country um, and that also sets a great base for your, your your local leagues you know so you know you want that standard to be at its highest level and competitive level you know so yeah you know Tony I think I think you know as far as I know Tony had put a lot of effort to try and get back in the team and yeah, she doesn't look like she's been given that opportunity or perhaps she has. But um, again, why isn't she in and around that squad keeping develop, you know, keep developing? You know, Jenny Jones is the same kind of person as well. She also had a lot of excitement around it, lots of speed. Um, really exciting, but we just haven't, you know, grabbed it and kept them involved and kept them interested. Lindsay, you know, we've had uh, plenty of accomplished hockey players on the show the last uh, year and a bit. Uh, it's quite nice to say that it's been going for that long. But, um, I mean, you, you are right up there in terms of what you've achieved. And taking away from just your international achievements, uh, moving on to the domestic front, um, I mean, looking at the IPT, winning uh, the IPT with Northerns as coach, the first time they'd ever won. Also winning the first PHL uh, for with the Blind River Bunters. I mean... Some incredible achievements. Oh, um, those local tournaments, you know, IPT is still, you know, for me, the flagship of South African hockey, and it should be treated in that way. We should have all our best players back there playing. um, And I would love to see it go international, actually having a couple of international players come in and and also boost the the standard of the the tournament and make it exciting. But... um, you know, I just remember going on the first journey. I mean, I was a Southerns girl right to the bone. Um, and then, of course, I, I married Peter, <laughs> and that had to all change. So the challenge of um, taking on the Northerns ladies um, and coaching them to their very first gold medal, um, which was in, in Peter Maritzburg. First of all, I mean, you know, we had to take on Western Province twice. And, I mean, Western Province were a fantastic team. They had some great players in that. But our goals just stuck to the game plan. May not have been that pretty hockey, but they stuck in there and they managed to to do that. So I think the first one was a little bit of luck on our side and just happened to, to go our way. But the, the, the second one that we won in Joburg, 
um, yeah, that, that was just unbelievable, you know, and it was led by Nicolene Tablanche, and um, she was such a, a great inspiration for our Northerns team. She really gathered those goals around. Pumi was fantastic in the goals. She was she was a great team member. I remember having Jacinta Jubb. She was a great team member, made us laugh all the time, every day. Um, and, um, yeah, just keeping those goals on track and, you know, making them believe that they could do it. Because I think Northerns had never won one. And so they, they often found themselves in the bronze medal playoffs. So when I used to train, I used to just tell them, you know, if you want to train like that, you'll win a bronze medal. Um, so you've got to train like gold medalists. <laughs> and so I kept reminding them that they were, they were gold medal worth. So, um, and they've done it. And they've done it twice. And they've done it again since, since I've left um, under Warren Sangstone. He's done a great job with them. So it's really good to see that they are competing right up there in the finals now. Uh, it was amazing to see and, and well done with your efforts. So you mentioned a, a Southern girl through and through, currently living in Australia. <laughs> but uh, your roots go back to Zimbabwe. Yeah, uh, and it, it, that is my, you know, I still call it home, funny enough, and I think, um, you know, my, my parents still live there, my younger brother and his family still live there, and they, they battle their way through there, but they live a fantastic life, and I, I often go back, and I, my niece now plays, is, is, is probably, was trialing for the under-21 Zimbabwean team, which could, you know, go to the Junior World Cup, or going to compete in the Junior World Africa Cup. Um, so we had to go down and watch them them play there. And um, they've got an exciting group of youngsters coming through there. Um, and it was good to see them. They've got another AstroTurf down at St. John's, which was which is great to see that addition and, and them, you know, putting it to full practice. So, yeah, I still got lots of ties in there and I still have a passion for Zimbabweans. Always will do. Um, they're great people. Now, you, you played for Zimbabwe before moving over to South Africa. And- to play for SA. I mean, how, how did that happen? So, I mean, obviously, I mean, like I mentioned right in the beginning, my, you know, my desire for the Olympic Games was started by the Golden Girls as they were fondly known or still fondly known in Zimbabwe. Um, and I obviously went to school there and my desire was always to play for Zimbabwe because South Africa was obviously not recognized at that time. And so I was never going to play for them, um, even though I was born in South Africa. So my dad, um, my older brother and I were born there and then my dad decided to leave there and go to Zim for for a job. Um, and then we just settled down there. Um, and so, uh, when when it came round to my Olympic dream, it started at eleven, and when South Africa started to come back into the whole sporting, um, you know, fraternity and and being able to to play again, I knew that I was going to have to make a decision if I wanted to fulfil my Olympic dream, and wow. I knew they would only take one African country. Um, and as much as I wanted to be a Zimbabwean or play for Zimbabwe, I did play for them and on for 14 international caps. Um, but I also felt like I was the best player at the age of 21. And I still had so much to learn. And, you know, I needed to be put into something that was a lot more challenging. And so I decided to go come down to Joburg to play in the league there. Um, and be challenged, and uh, you know, I got to play with people like Alison Dare and Ros Hull and um, Corey Simmons, Corey Roberts, and I mean, they just changed my hockey world. You know, they took me to another level. Um, and then I decided that, you know, I needed to to probably change citizenship if I was going to follow my Olympic dreams because I then went to my first IPT and got selected into the South African squad, but then had to change citizenship 
in order to to play for South Africa. And then the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah, it was a good change for me, but I still try and give back to Zimbabwe as much as I can. So whenever I'm up there, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in helping the, the hockey, um, you know, the people that are, are coaching and putting in the effort there. So wherever I can advise them, I do, and um, I'll continue to do that. The, the irony of you having to switch allegiance, obviously, to, to South Africa, knowing that you'd be able to compete at the Olympics. Um, It's amazing because we host a weekly sports quiz, myself and Ty, which has really captured the imagination of the SA public. And funny enough, last night, Ty put forward a question, which I didn't know, I'm sure you, of course you know, um, being that uh, Zimbabwe were the first ever winners of uh, the women's uh, gold medal um, in Olympics, uh, in women's uh, hockey. And that was back in 1980 when they beat uh, Czechoslovakia. Yes, yes. And it, I mean, it was, a you know, obviously there was a couple of politics involved in the Olympic Games. But, you know, you read that article about them and they only had like 30 days to prepare <laughs> and they had to find, you know, the funding to get themselves there. So they you talk about hardship. You know, they went through hardships just to get to the Olympic Games and to get to the Olympic Games and compete and then win a gold medal. That should never be taken away from them. And um, I just remember watching those ladies play hockey. They were fabulous. They were just they were great hockey players in themselves, you know, and um, they deserved deserved that recognition. And, um, yeah, the unfortunate passing of Liz Chase, you know, she was my idol. Um, I looked up to her. She she gave me the opportunity and she was always there um, to guide me. And, um, yeah, she, you know, she's forever missed in my life and I know in many others' lives. But, um, you know, thank, thankfully to them, they opened up my eyes to, to wanting to, to fulfill my dreams. And um, I think because I experienced that, that's what I really want to give back to the next generations that come through that I've been been involved with. You know, and, and Lindsay, we know you weren't only a, a Zimbabwean hockey player. You also uh, represented Zimbabwe in some other sports. Um, what else did you, you play and do in Zimbabwe? Um, so I was quite a serious tennis player, to be honest. Um, um, I took my tennis quite seriously as a youngster, and I came through through my school age. Um, I was the number one tennis player, uh, Zimbabwean tennis player, singles player at one stage. More likely in my doubles because I love doubles, and I played um, with a girl called Fiona Hunter. She was fantastic. She, um, I played doubles with her, and we won all the competitions together. And then funny enough, my mixed doubles partner, um, I went to a couple of mixed doubles partner, but one of them was Byron Black. And I got coached by his dad. Um, Fiona and I got coached by his dad at his plantation, which was just outside of Harare. And he had like three grass courts, two hard courts and one sand court. And we used to always see Byron hitting thousands of um, tennis balls against the wall. And we used to serve and he used to give us bananas if we hit the tennis balls in the corners that we were trying to be hit the ball into. And we used to go home with loads of bananas for our moms. <laughs> That's superb. Uh, yeah, he, he was fabulous too. And um, yeah, tennis taught me a lot about hockey and a lot about coaching actually. So, um, you know, I still refer to it to, today. And then I had a little bit of a, a soft, as a very young girl, I, I played softball um, and uh, was going to be quite a serious softball player. But uh, yeah, tennis really got the better of me. And um, uh, yeah, that's what I decided to to follow and pursue. And then, of course, I, I did mention uh, Lene Milan's brother was David Milan. 
And there is mm-hmm. something about hockey ladies uh, enjoying cricketing brothers. Um, yes. And not just that, but also a captaincy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us about your brother, Stuart. And yes. obviously the fact that you were both international captains at the same time. I know, isn't that just, it's, it's incredible. And I remember that being one of the questions on, on one of the shows that they had. But um, Stuart, um, he, you know, he played cricket for Zimbabwe. He was um, sometimes an opening batsman, but more so a batsman and a, and a fielder. Not so great at bowling because I had to do all the bowling to him to make him a great batsman. You must remember that. Um, I remember. I remember having to throw tennis balls across the, the swimming pool and he would face it on the other side and we'd spend hours playing this game. And, you know, he would always be batting and I'd always be throwing. So I do, I do throw a lot further than he does. Um, he, you know, he was, I learned so much from Stuart as well. He's got a great temperament. Um, and, you know, he battled his way through a couple of situations in his selection um, you know, processes with Zimbabwean cricket, but he, you know, mentally he was incredibly strong. He kept coming back. He kept playing better. Um, but the problem is that he always had to make a 50 in order to get picked up and picked in the team. Um, and um, yeah, he's just mentally, his mental strength is, is amazing. And he taught me so much about how to persevere with things when things aren't going your way or, you know, you don't quite get what you, you'd hoped for, but to just keep digging in and just keep searching for, for what, what you want. And you come out on the end at the end of the day. So yeah, he's, he's been great and a great influence. And my older brother, and I have better mention this, otherwise he might just abuse me. Um, you know, he played, he played hockey for um, Zimbabwe himself. He played, he went to a World Cup himself and he got selected into the Africa team um, uh-huh. when it was good. So, and he was a really good hockey player himself. He plays, um, he plays Masters in Wales right now. So he plays for the Welsh team there. So, um, yeah, he, he's also used to, you know, I used to chase him around the garden because he'd never give the ball back. So, you know, I, I had my, my challenges with both my brothers. So, um, I better pass on some respect to them about who they are today. <laughs> but I, I assume that uh, all your sibling quarrels as uh, as kids were obviously sorted out on a sports field. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I think with every girl, you know, you never want to be beaten by boys, and you never want to be beaten by your brothers. And so yeah. I, I made sure that I used to win as much, much as I can. But Gary used to. F- fight all the time he was always the winner whether he cheated or not <laughs> so right well there we go um and you know it's amazing just looking back at Stuart's stats i mean you speak so highly of sydney uh having been there for the olympics in 2000 and uh, Stuart went yeah. on to score his maiden century at the scg three years later so the city city certainly holds uh, some very fond memories for uh the carlisle family or the wright family as well <laughs> Yeah, it does. I mean, oh, just remember that day oh, and watching it on TV and being so proud of him because I think, you know, you watch these guys make 100, but you don't know what they go through prior to that and all the tribulations, you know, trial and tribulations that they go through. And I remember watching live make a century against Sri Lanka in Harare at, um, at, at Harare, Royal Harare. Um, and watching him make make a hundred there, and you know, he'd taken so much pressure from the press, 
Um, and that's just was one of my best days ever for him. And I still remember it so, so well and just so proud of him. I've got a, a few friends that play international cricket and, and I know what it means for me when I see them go on to make three figures and yeah, I don't even know them that well. And I, I can imagine <laughs> that for a family member to do something like that at one of the greatest grounds in the world against who at the time and pretty much still is the, the best team in the world. Uh, yeah, it must have been incredible. Yeah, he did. And he, I think he hit Shane Warne for a couple of sixes and um, he didn't like that too much. I think he <laughs> found out a whole new, la- <laughs> new Australian language. <laughs> Lindsay, uh, it's been amazing chatting to you, but uh, we're not going to let you go just yet because you first need to take on the one question quiz. Sorry, what's the time over there again? Um, we are, it's nearly nine o'clock in the, in okay. the evening. Okay, not too bad. Okay, so the one question quiz, it's, uh, the name says it all, one question, and uh, you have to answer it. Many have failed, few have passed, although we've had quite a bit of big success rates of late. Now, uh, Ty, did Peter get his right? If I remember correctly, you asked Peter something absolutely ridiculous. Uh, um, so he didn't get it right. But Lindsay's brother-in-law, John, did get it right last week. Okay. So, oh, no. so <laughs> yeah, which side of the right family will uh, be on the right side? Okay, let's see. Um, this is a, it's not a fairly easy, it depends. Let's see. But uh, I mentioned that 1980 Summer Olympics where Zimbabwe went on to grab the gold medal in the women's hockey competition. I want to know the teams that they played against. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, well, Czechoslovakia is obviously one. Yes. And they played um, them twice because they played them during the round robin and they played in the final game. Uh, yeah. I, okay, I'll let you know that there, there are a total of six teams that took part. So that should narrow Your, it down. Um, uh, I want to say... Austria. Was it Austria one? Austria, yes. They played Austria and they gave them a, a big hammering as well. They won that one uh, 4-1. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, gosh. Um, were the Dutch there? They were not. No, no Dutch. Yeah. Mm. Um, they were very strange teams. They weren't, they weren't your usual what you see now. Yeah, um, one of the sides certainly is a a powerhouse at hockey. USA? Was the USA there? No, no, no. Because they weren't, no. this was 1980, so they're in Moscow. So they certainly weren't anywhere near there. <laughs> so Russia was there, obviously. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Soviet Union, I'll give it to you. Okay. So we've got um, two, and I'll give you, uh, so there's two more teams that you need to select, and I'll give you one more error. <laughs> oh, um, I think you can give the continents. Uh, okay, yeah, what? why not? The continents. Um, Asia, and oh, Euro- okay. Asia, Asia and Europe. Asia and Europe. Ugh. Asia. Um. A, a, a hockey, hockey powerhouse from Asia. China. No. Really? Pardon? It, uh, sub- subcontinental Asia, put it that way. Oh, I think I've got stage fright here. Um, 
It was yeah. none other than... Okay. I'm looking at India. India. India, yes, India. Well done. One more to go. One from Europe. Uh, flag Europe. features just two colors. It's bottom half of the flag is one color. Top half is another color. That's it. Very simple flag. Not really a hockey power ass. They came stone last, in fact. They lost every single game. And Zimbabwe mm. opened the tournament, in fact, against them, and they won 4-0. They're, oh. they're better known for indoor than outdoor hockey. What color is their flag? Red and white. Am I, am I allowed to ask questions? What color are their flags? Yeah, red and white. So if you take the Austria flag and take out the top red of the Austria, then you've got this country's flag. Poland. <laughs> Poland it is. Well done. <laughs> it, it took some time, but you got there in the end, and uh, that's yeah. all we really require. Well done. <laughs> that was magnificent. Lindy, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I wish everybody a safe recovery back home and hope that you guys are able to get outside and get some hockey done because that's where it's all happening, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Obviously, from our side, our, our immediate focus will be the Indo-African Cup, but lots mm. happening, the Under-21 qualifiers, yes. the Under-21 World Cup coming to South Africa for the women, and that's of course fantastic. the Olympic Games. Yeah, oh. Bring on the Olympic Games. Gosh, I'm just so looking forward to that. Yeah, I wish everyone the best of preparations for that and wish you guys well and hope to stay warm in your winter. Uh, we will. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of uh, your stay in Australia uh, for however long it may be. But uh, yeah, you're in a, a beautiful part of the world, the most isolated yeah. part of the world. But yeah, there's a few better places to be isolated in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Lindsay. Cheers, Lindsay. Bye. Oh, lovely to chat to Lindsay Wright. Yeah, I mean, geez, Ty. Uh, to, to, to be honest, I I knew the right name. I knew the, the right legacy. Uh, obviously, we've been chatting to John and, and Peter. And I think just with that last hour, it's been incredibly educational for me, learning yeah. what she has managed to achieve. No, 100%, Derek. I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's just an incredible journey. And what a family. I mean, to have international, to have one international sports person as a kid is amazing. To have two is sensational. To have three is just out of this world. And I mean, what a family it must have been to grow up in and to be a part of. And, and they just keep producing. And, and I've no doubt that uh, her daughter, Katie, will uh, probably on some countries international colors for some sport one day yeah i, I love the fact that they're all all over the world uh, and, and representing different countries now of course Lindsay's not representing us but uh, she spoke about her other brother who's over in wales now we mentioned Stuart. Uh, it, it is just as you just reel off the achievements uh, you, you tend to be blown away so yeah that, that family can be exceptionally proud of themselves and and i'm sure they are both the carlisle family as well as the Wright family yeah yeah, jeez. They, uh, yeah, they keep on producing. Uh, Ty, well done. You've knocked it out the park again. A, a fantastic guest. Can't wait to see who we've got next. Be a surprise for <laughs> me as well. <laughs> Cheers, Ty. Cheers. <laughs>